0: Hey, Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or you know however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything towards the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So uh, patreon.com slash goblins growlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the goblins and growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. I'm Brandon Dingus at Wave Brandalore on Twitter
0: and Instagram. How you doing, Brandon? How you, how you holding up? I I would like to to think that the fact that I'm here still in my shirt and tie from work today indicates the kind of day I've been having.
1: You know, fair, fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've managed to extricate myself from about half of my work clothes, but I think on a similar Just scale. the bottom half, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> it's a no pants Wednesday, y'all.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's been, um, there's just been a lot going on, uh, at work and, you know, various stuff around the house and other things I'm working on. So it's, uh, it's like every night when I'm like, well, I have this commitment or that commitment or this other commitment. I'm like, ah, damn it. Like when we were talking before we started recording and I was like, yeah, you know, I think on the 27th, I might have some recruiting event that I have to, uh, go to for work. I'm like, eh. <laughs> it's fine though it's fine i'm happy to do it but just still like i'd love to come home at six o'clock and just go
1: to bed yeah i was gonna say i do i do at least know for a fact that you're much happier in your current job position than you were in your previous job position yeah but it's a lot of work absolutely Absolutely. it's more work than i was even doing
0: at the newspaper um i i can imagine given everything you and i have talked about (laughs) yeah so it's not bad. I don't have anything to complain about. My, no. My, my dad worked on the railroad for more than thirty years, so I could complain about a white collar office job.
1: So, yeah, yeah. Uh, in that context, I could see it being hard to gripe too much. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to complain too
0: much, <laughs> but um, but we're not tonight. We're not talking about uh, comfortable things like jobs and getting rest. We're talking about a deadly game. A dangerous game Uh, A
1: a dangerous game What are we talking about tonight Oh we're talking about Tom Hanks and his friends Get caught up in a deadly game of fantasy I am the maze controller Until they take it too far
0: I propose we play
1: Mazes and monsters in a real Setting It won't be a fantasy Too bad for one of them Because now there's no turning back
0: This is only a game. I know, I killed
1: somebody. Mazes and Monsters. Saturday at 3 on ZTV, Fox 17.
0: That's right, we're talking about the Tom Hanks classic television movie,
1: Mazes and Monsters, based on the eponymous book by Rona Jaffe. And if you're local to Richmond and going, where is TV 17? You only have to go to Nashville, Tennessee to find it. You know, I look for a promo on
0: YouTube. I find the first <laughs> promo on YouTube, and that's the one that I use. <laughs> um, but yeah, Josh, so you you came over to the house uh, last week, and yep. we watched on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. We wasted an hour and a half of our lives watching Mazes and Monsters.
1: <laughs> yeah, we sure did. We yeah. We knew we were going to, and... I I will say I was anticipating it being even worse than it actually was. So I was mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, pleasantly surprised at how bad it was. But that is not to say that it was a good movie. Yeah. And this is a
0: uh, part one of our Halloween sandwich of content uh, because we just looked at the calendar and realized that Halloween falls uh, immediately between Two release dates for us, so we're gonna have this episode, then we'll have Halloween, and then the week after Halloween, we'll have part two of this. So it all works out perfectly. It's it's a big Hell old yeah, it's a big old pumpkin skeleton sandwich of <laughs> spooky content. <laughs> a pumpkin
1: <laughs> skeleton sandwich. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and we'll even Perfect. cut the crust off for you, just like mom Ooh. used to do. But uh, Mazes and Monsters, uh, for anybody who's not aware, but if you've been, you know, playing tabletop role playing games, specifically D&D for almost any length of time, you're familiar with the the Satanic Panic, the 80s sort of religious reactionary campaign against Dungeons and Dragons because it's corrupting our children. Um we we a little bit later on will after we talk about the movie we'll uh, get into a bit of the details of its its genesis and some of the faulty foundations upon which it was built and the relative dearth of research performed by Rona Jaffe before writing the story but uh, this is I think a wonderful time capsule into the skewed, informationless thought process about Dungeons & Dragons
1: that existed in the 1980s. To give folks an idea of the turnaround for this film, the actual events that the book was based on happened in 1979. The book was written and published in 1980, and this film came out... Apologies, 1981, the book was published... And then the film came out in 1982. That's pretty quick turnaround for something
0: like that. Uh, yeah. it was, it's definitely strike while the iron is hot territory for, <laughs> for these kind of things. Uh, TTRPG bashing was the hot thing and CBS was really going to get in on it. It was this is this. This movie is 100 minutes long, which surprised me. Um, but then again, when we watched it, it did feel like it had four or five different endings at various points. But yeah, there was there was a little bit of that. Uh, it was hundred minutes. It, uh, like I said, it was based on the Rona Jaffe book. Uh, it was uh, written by. This is. Uh, I, I struggled to find some interesting trivia for this film. I struggle to find some interesting trivia. So I've got a couple of items that I'll sprinkle through the conversation. But it was written by Tom Lazarus, who is probably most well known as the writer of the film Stigmata, which you may remember.
1: That sounds vaguely familiar. I'm I'm familiar with the term Stigmata. I don't know that I recall much about the film.
0: Yeah, it was a horror film from 1999. So I saw it in the theater in my senior year of high school. But uh, I don't really remember a whole heck of a lot about it. It, start, oh, it started Gabriel Byrne and Patricia Arquette. So like, I sort of remember it, but not a whole lot of it. But I anyway.
1: hope I hope Tom Lazarus had work between releasing Mazes and Monsters and 17 years later. Releasing Stigmata. <laughs> I'll tell
0: you exactly how much work uh, Tom Lazarus had. He, uh, his filmography uh, goes back to 1976, but um, he did uh, Mazes and Monsters in 1982. He did another TV movie, The Awakening of Kandra, in 1983. He did a movie called Centerfold in 1996. And then he did Stigmata in 1999. And that was it. But he's still alive, apparently.
1: Interesting gap in the middle there, but uh, mm-hmm. we won't go too far into that. This is a name the like Tom Lazarus episode. This is with the a name Mrs. like uh,
0: with a name like Tom Lazarus, it's possible he may be alive for another hundred years to make another movie. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see, we'll see. But, anyways, that was trivia item number one. I've got two more uh, Just saved up for you all.
1: Thought his career was dead, it came back to life. <laughs> He'll do Stigmata 2, <laughs> Electric
0: Boogaloo. Um, but, you know, we've put this movie in sort of the historical context. Um, I had always heard of this film uh, and it, it just seemed too silly to actually watch because I really just kind of hate the whole, oh, D&D is evil, ch- you know, chick tracks, blah, 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 blah that kind of thing. So I never really paid it much mind. But I'm actually kind of glad that I watched it in a certain way, because not that it was good. I, I, I'm i not glad that I used that time that I could on a wonderful, sunny Saturday afternoon that I could have been doing something else. Uh, but it's nice to just see it. And, you know, obviously, the one thing everybody knows about this film is that it, it was the first leading role that Tom Hanks ever had. This is when he was 26 years old. And uh, it, it's one of those things like um. That The the studio that owns the film, they they just can't help but think how lucky they are after something like this happens. Because this was like right when he broke out with Bosom Buddies and Big and all that stuff. So they got – this is probably the last opportunity anybody ever had to get Tom Hanks in a TV movie, basically. And now when they market uh, – when they, anybody markets this movie, it's always Tom Hanks in Mazes and Monsters. <laughs> There's – like an updated cover for it that I've seen out there uh, on the Internet. And it's basically uh, Tom Hanks as of maybe 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, a picture of him and it's, you know, it's done in Photoshop. It's got some fade on it and stuff, and it looks really kind of haunting. But it's clearly a a, like 60 something Tom Hanks or whatever, like 50s or 60s. Uh, It looks absolutely nothing like he does in this film because he's got uh, his his Tom Hanks like puffed out fro. From the old bosom buddy days and everything. Um, But he I mean, he's great. Like Tom Hanks is great in pretty much everything. And he's great in this film. Uh, So I can't fault him for anything. I can fault about ninety nine percent of the rest of the movie. But he was fantastic.
1: Yeah, I will say like he does kind of make the movie, which ends up working out well. Like they made him the main character. It's his first leading role. He ends up becoming a huge star. Like he did a really good job with what he was given. I just don't think what he was given was very good. No. Oh, I just thought of another example of something like
0: this. It's like when um, Chappelle was in Half-Baked. And that was before he really hit it big with his show. And now every time you see a re-release of Half Baked, it's always like Dave Chappelle (laughs) in like 72 point type. And then then Jim Brewer in like 10, 10 point type and then in Half Baked.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There was Uh, I do recall when we were watching Mazes and Monsters, there's that the whole intro sequence. They're introducing you to all of the four main characters and their personal and home lives and what that us all like and i recall both of us sitting there and being like it's been 15 minutes into this hour and a half movie where is tom hanks yeah it like it was tom
0: hanks or we riot kind of like like is, is <laughs> did they film this opening when he was on the island for castaway is that why he's not here <laughs> Because, of course, it, he's the last one to get introduced. And it's not it's not even like they probably did that as a tease because he wasn't like a huge star at that point. Right. I don't. Uh,
1: I, the only I other person. I thinking it. Oh, go ahead. I remember thinking it felt like a tease and then being like, well, now, wait a minute. No, this is his first leading role. What's happening here?
0: Yeah. The, But he's really the only star power in this the only other um the only other person who even comes close to being a quote-unquote star in this is Chris Makepeace who went on to be in Meatballs a movie which many people I know have seen and love but I never saw it and I was sort of almost old enough when it was relevant and I did double check and um Bosom Buddies was 1980 to 1982. I think when we did the math on this, when we were watching the movie that day, we figured that this was after the first season. uh, This was filmed after the first season of Bosom Buddies shot and maybe either before or it must have been right after it aired. I think, yeah, it was the year after it aired. And uh, because Bosom Buddies pilot was November of 1980 so this was '82. So that probably just finished wrapping up. So this is right before Big, probably when he became like a no pun intended big star. I, if I recall my <laughs> if I recall my Tom Hanks and Alia well enough, I think Big was his first major like film role.
1: I do feel like Big is the first role I think of when I think of Tom Hanks' film career. So mm-hmm. that. That sounds accurate, at least to me. I will also say it's entirely possible that, you know, he ends up meeting someone on the set for Bosom Buddies that is Mm -hmm. like, oh, hey, I got this movie project that's coming down the pipe and I could use somebody with a little bit of talent. You know, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to pay you a whole lot. And he's like, well, I need work, you know. So he
0: moved to New York in 79. And he did a film called He Knows You're Alone, which was a cheap slasher film. And after that, based on the strength of that, he was cast in Mazes and Monsters. And uh, I'm guessing they must have shot it and it sat on the shelf for a while because this would have been right after the the Rona Jaffe book came out.
1: Yeah. Wow. That'd
0: be like really immediately after the Rona Jaffe book came out. Because he didn't he didn't get bosom buddies until after that. But but the movie didn't come out until uh, December of 1982. Very interesting. Mm hmm. Yeah, because he, he actually he had a guest spot on Happy Days uh, in 82, which I'm guessing was before this the movie aired, but after it was filmed because it would have been after probably right. after Bosom Buddies. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, so that, that's a Tom Hanks rabbit hole. That's our Russian arcade museum of this of this episode, <laughs> I think. <laughs>
1: Every episode needs at least a little Russian arcade in it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they tease Tom Hanks. They, they go through these
0: characters and they've all sort of got, you know, in, their informed attributes um, where we're just sort of told, like, you know, one of them wants to be a video game designer. Another
1: is a woman. Uh, another wears funny hats all the time. I mean, I, th- I think it's worth highlighting that the movie and presumably the book, I don't think you've read the book. I definitely haven't. I have not. Uh, I think it's fair to say that it's not just a woman. She specifically is talking about how difficult it is to date because all these guys see her as nothing but their future stay-at-home wife. And right. she wants something more than that, dang it. She's a writer. She's a creator. And, like, I can respect that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And funny hat guy is apparently a young genius and he's because he's like 16 or something. But to make up for, I guess, a lack of personality or bad writing, he has to wear a, a unique hat in every scene to sort of showcase that he's a little off the wall
1: or oddball. Um, I have to wonder if that's something that's in the book or if that's something that like the actor was like, listen. I, I've got this, like, bald patch on the back, and part of my rider is that you've got to have me in hats in every scene. Um, The, the
0: story, I, I didn't know where this was going when we first watched it. I didn't look up anything about the movie. I didn't want to be spoiled by anything. So it was just one turn after another that just freaked me out. So. Let's let's go through it a little bit. So Tom Hanks, once they finally deign to reveal him in the film, is sitting in the backseat of his parents' cars. They're driving him to his new school, Grant University. I think he said he like flunked out of Tufts or something like that, or they, they asked him to leave. And his parents are just your stereotypical, like Frank and Estelle Costanza, henpecking people, yelling at each other. And so he they, they get him there and he's and they make him promise not to play that awful game anymore because apparently he was playing mazes and monsters uh, at school and that's what caused his grades to tank and everything and that's why he got kicked out
1: he got so, a little too into the game if you will mm-hmm.
0: and so he's and he's like yeah no problem i'm gonna study and he seems really sincere about it like he's just he's being genuine like yeah no 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 problem i'm gonna study i'm gonna straighten up i'm gonna fly right and he, you know he he's we, we flash forward. He's got some books and stuff. He's sitting in the cafeteria. He finishes eating. He gets up to go dump his tray and he stops and he looks at the cork board and sees an ad for a, 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 maze, a local Mazes and Monsters group wanting another player. And I just think I think it's so hilarious how it says stuff like must be able to play at level nine. <laughs> and um, the story up to that point is just that the other three characters um, Having come back to school at the beginning of this year are really trying to get the game going, but they need that fourth player and they can't they don't know anybody who could play. So Tom Hanks is looking at the cork board and then funny hat guy um, sees it and basically just like scrambles over there to chat with them. And it's just like, oh, so you like mazes and monsters, do you? Um, and they start chatting. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I used to play it a lot. You know, it got me in kind of a trouble at school and everything. Well, we, you know, we're starting up a game. You know, you want to play? You want to play? He's like, no, nah, I can't. I really got to focus on my studies. And uh, then, you know, he's like, well, OK, you know, why don't you come to my party? I'm, I'm having a party. Uh, you know, there's going to be some folks there. Why don't you just come show up? Because he's like, clearly, Funny Hat is not ready to let this go yet. And he wants to keep trying to woo Tom Hanks into playing in his game. Uh, And so then we flash forward to the party.
1: Yeah. And at the party, there's a cute girl. And it turns out the cute girl is one of the players. And she's like, oh, you used to play? Oh, you're level nine? What a coincidence. And then immediately, like, Tom Hanks is swarmed by the other friends. And all all three of them are like, you got to play in our game. You got to play in our game. And he's like, well, you know, maybe a little bit. Like, I could, you know, maybe... Because obviously Tom Hanks wants to get with this girl. And of course, then there's like the whole following like montage is them playing mazes and monsters and Tom Hanks awkwardly flirting with this girl until they're dating. Yeah, I love to when they're trying to convince him to play,
0: they're like and he's he's very responsibly being like, no, you know, like I, I wasn't able to sort of manage my time properly when I was playing before. And they're like, oh, come on. You know, we're not nuts about it. We're not crazy about it. But <laughs> like later in the movie, they say stuff like we've only played three times this week. <laughs> I, I, I love how it, like the whole trajectory of this movie would have changed if not for their peer pressure on him. He was trying to not play. <laughs> and they were like, one of us,
1: one of us. <laughs> Yeah, the whole like recruiting him into the group and kind of like pressuring him to play, like it's kind of an awkward setup because I don't know, it ends up feeling very pressury and very like well, you know, if you guys hadn't been such jerks about this in the first place, yeah, he wouldn't be in this bind later on. But like, I don't know, I also have felt the desperation to get a full group together so that we can play on a semi-regular basis, though I will say right now, I have never once in my entire life had a group that plays multiple times a week. Yeah, once a week was my record for any
0: kind of regularity, and we kept that up for like two years, aside from vacations and stuff. Yeah. God, like... I love playing D&D, but there are other things that you can do uh, with your life on other days of the week rather than playing <laughs> it like, you know, three or four or five days a week. Uh, yeah. That's that's me being an old man, I guess, <laughs> coming out there for a second. <laughs> but just like, good Lord, you know, go pay some bills to see the sun, see the sun, something like that. Don't play for four, four days in a row.
1: You kids ought to pace yourselves. You don't want to play yourselves out of a campaign so soon.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it's Mazes and Monsters as a game is just funny because, you know, we see a bunch of scenes of them playing it and it's. It's what somebody who only has sort of the barest passing knowledge of d d would describe as a D&D game. Like there's candles all around, you know, there's a there's a DM screen. You don't really see them rolling dice all that much, but there's definitely a dice component
1: to it. And all they ever roll are D6s, I think. Is and it D6s and D10s. No, it, was a, it was a D12 because we were like, oh, ha ha. It's a D12 right. system. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I almost forgot. Yeah.
0: And they, oh you know, like like any kind of stereotypical depiction of a DD game, like it starts out and the the dungeon master, which in this game is called the maze controller, is like, <laughs> I am the maze controller. I am the god of this world. And, uh, you know, like standing there with the candles and everything like that. And then everybody has to go around introducing their character. And like Tom Hanks is like, I am Pardue, a holy man. <laughs> And they they introduce themselves by putting their minifig on the table. And it it looked kind of just like a tablecloth. Like I didn't it didn't look like a dungeon map to me that they were playing on. But everybody introduces themselves and they're just so super serious about the whole thing. It's 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 really funny. It's like very unintentionally funny.
1: I think. My favorite part is when they are like, oh, you know what we should do is really ramp the game up and make it more interesting. We should play in this nearby abandoned mine. And when they finally get everybody on board with the plan, they're like, well, how do we do this up proper? And they all have to get into like LARP costumes in order to climb into this mine to play the game. (laughs) They all get in their
0: LARP costumes and then they get into uh, the woman. I think her name was Kate. They get into her like, you know, uh, like AMC Pacer or Gremlin or something like that, and I'll drive over there. Um, but Hat, Hat Guy decides like it was his idea to do the LARPing. So he's like, I'll be the maze controller. So he goes there early and takes a bunch of stuff and sets it up like he hangs skeletons in places and puts torches up and everything. And then the whole goal is like the other three, their adventuring party has to go through and he's the maze controller just sort of shouting instructions to them. But it's weird. And I mentioned this when we were watching the movie because he's clearly shown as like he's found a little place to to like set up and hide. And he's able to talk to them like throughout the cave. Uh, And they just happen to be able to hear him no matter where he is. They're not using walkie talkies or radios or anything like that. It's just sort of magical proximity to everyone so that they can
1: communicate. And he is also somehow aware of their individual positions within the cave because he like sets up traps and riddles and things for them. it's like, how, what, how, how is any of that possible?
0: Yeah. Now, like nowadays you could do something like that. You know, it would take a little bit of effort, but it wouldn't be, like, too overly complicated. You could do some sort of, like, GPS mapping of the cavern. Tell Everybody gets a little, like, locator, so you could always know where they are. And you could probably set up some computers or something to trigger some interesting events as they get to certain parts. So it would be, like, doable now, but this was 1982. Uh, Yeah. And... And we sort of glossed over a lot, but it's been like months at this point that they've been playing these characters, right? So they um, they're really into it at this point. And they decide to split the party to go find because he's laid out all these clues and treasures and things like that. So um, they they split the party <laughs> to go try and find stuff. And Tom Hanks. Finds himself in this one cavern. And I, this is where we should backtrack just a little bit. We're doing a terrible recap of this film. But out of nowhere, as his relationship with Kate, as Tom Hanks' relationship with Kate is ramping up, they're in one of their dorm rooms and uh, they start having like some sort of real serious feelings conversation. And he starts talking about how his brother named Hall ran away when he was younger and just disappeared. Uh, To New York. And he he talks about uh, just a little bit about how that always affected him. And he felt like he was the one who made Hall disappear. So he already had some, you know, unresolved emotional, psychological issues that he was dealing with uh, going into all this. And the way the story unfolds is that we are to believe that. That. Like his his original issues, coupled with playing this hyper immersive game of mazes and monsters now that they're LARPing it, gives him a psychotic break, essentially, because he's by himself. He's in a cave. He starts to see smoke. He starts to hear something coming from another room. And then all of a sudden, this giant upright lizard Comes out comes out of uh, another cave and we're both looking at each other when this is going on. Like, what is happening? Have they (laughs) tapped into another universe? What like what is going on? Is this something that hat guy set up? Did he hire some people to come and be monsters? Tom Hanks is freaking out. He's reaching into his priest robes. He's pulling out a dagger. He just starts screaming. I think he's like in his head. He stabs the monster. And everybody hears him and they all come running in there. And he's just he's having just I mean, he's just out of it. He 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 started to come down from the screaming a little bit. He um, is just staring at the ground and there's nothing there. He's like, I slayed the beast. I've, I've killed it. And everybody says, OK, I think I think we're done now. Let's let's get out of here. <laughs>
1: that's that's enough
0: for tonight. Great game, y'all. And here's where my second bit of trivia comes in. um the giant uh the giant monster, the Goreville it was called the lizard monster it was uh the suit actor for that was Kevin Peter Hall, who I'm sure you don't know the name, but he was the suit
1: actor for the original predator. Ooh, I was vaguely familiar with the name, and I wondered why, and now I know. yeah, he's like seven foot four. Wow,
0: yeah. Yeah, um, he I, I also know him from this really bad short run show from the mid 80s called Misfits of Science, which really just wanted to be the X-Men, but wasn't. Uh, and he was in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, and he was Harry in the Harry and Henderson, Harry and the Hendersons movie. Wow. Yeah.
1: So to kind of to kind of expedite the uh, the next sequence, basically, it's Tom Hanks's character. Slowly becoming more and more Pardue like, and his friends being like, I'm mildly concerned about his behavior, but it seems okay. I guess he's just really into the game. Like, he breaks up with uh the uh the woman Kate and is like, No, I have to be a holy man. He's having visions in his dreams, yeah, he had a vision to like.
0: Yeah, he had a vision from from somebody that told him he needed to stay pure and celibate. So that's why he broke up with her.
1: He needs to be a holy man and travel to uh, the two towers or something. And like there's a, a hidden city underground and all of this, all of these like visions and mystic messages and things like that that he's having in his sleep. And he's talking about none of it with his friends He's just acting slowly more and more strange. And then at their Halloween party, he's finally like, now is my time. And he wanders off, they presume to the local cave. Mm -hmm. And there starts like a huge search for him where like, they're running around the cave looking for him. They can't find him. They're getting really worried. They go to the cops because they're like, our friend is missing. They're like, Well, how long has he been missing? And they're like, the weekend. And they're like, well, the weekend's not a long time for your friend to be missing.
0: Yeah. Also, his friends are terrified that they're going to get in trouble for playing in these caves because the caves were like closed off officially and they were prohibited and everything like that. So when they go to report it to the police, they're like, yeah, we think he was into that Mazes and Monsters game. Uh, Who did he (laughs) play with? Oh, we don't know. He never talked about them. (laughs) And yeah, and the cops are like, yeah, he's probably dead in the cavern. Um, (laughs) Like, we don't even know if he's in there, (laughs) if we're being honest. Uh, But in his dream, the person who's giving him visions is called the Great Hall. And keep in mind that his brother's name was Hall. Yep. So so the friends. Oh, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, then this detective who is just like the surliest character is like, yep, your friend's probably dead. Miles and miles of caverns. And it's been days now and he hasn't had any food and presumably no water so yep we're gonna find ourselves a corpse when eventually we find him
0: and other cops are interrogating the friends keep trying to find holes in their stories and everything like that and one of them is just like it's mazes and monsters it's a really far out game it's full of swords and poisons and spells it was it. I, I don't know if anybody else has, ever, has, has seen this, but the cop reminded me of the book, the scene in Seinfeld where the the uh, library cop interrogates Jerry in his apartment. And it's just like, oh, you think this you laugh? What are you laughing at? Funny boy. And like, no, you listen here. And just just the way the cop was talking to him was just really hilarious because it <sighs> it just seemed. Like, why are all these people so, quote unquote, educated on mazes and monsters? There's like a scene where uh, a television reporter is talking about it relatively authoritatively. These cops all know about it. It's like it's this it's like it's this national craze that everybody knows everything about.
1: I mean, there is something to be said for at the time there was a lot of like news articles, et cetera, about Dungeons and Dragons and it, you know, it's sweeping the nation and it's the latest, greatest thing. And as I understand it, Dungeons and Dragons was running a ton of like print ads, commercials. I think it might. I, I think it was before the cartoon was out. hmm. But I think there was like extra material that was like something to the effect of comics that were already happening. Mm hmm. Yeah, it just struck me as it, it just
0: struck me as funny. That was never my experience in the world that just I tend to use my parents as um, as like sort of guideposts for normal people, like normally informed people in the 80s. And and they had no idea, like they were aware of what it was, but that was about it.
1: Fair, fair. I wasn't around in the 80s, so I Mm -hmm. can't comment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just I just know when I started playing, dad didn't care uh, because he's like, well, at least I know where you are on a Saturday night. I know you're not out in the streets causing trouble. (laughs) Which is precisely what he would have been doing at your age. (laughs) It is precisely what he was doing at my age. (laughs) He's told me a lot of stories, which I will not repeat here, because in the past he has told me I am not to be talking about his business with anybody. (laughs) That's delightful. Yeah. So anyway, so so Tom Hanks uh, wanders off that night to go sort of like fully become Pardue the holy man. And he I think it cuts to him just sort of walking through New York City after a while. Like he's gone from the movie, for like for a solid 10 minutes because the friends don't know where he is. We're not getting any idea of where he is. Uh, then all of a sudden he's walking around in New York City. And he walks past some like Lenny and Squiggy style tufts in the street. They got the, the leathers on and everything and got their slicked back hair. And they look at each other like, oh, here's a mark we can take. And um, they they take they follow him into an alleyway or something and they try to rob him. And he's wearing a pouch on his belt And they want to know what's in it. He's like, well, those are my spells. I guard them with my life. And they come after him. So he pulls a knife out and he tussles with them for a little bit. And he ends up stabbing a guy.
1: The dude goes up against him unarmed versus knife. And I'm like, even if you think this dude's a pushover, you're really going to be like, yeah, I'll wrestle with a guy who's got a knife.
0: Yeah. And I don't think the guy
1: I don't think the guy died. But Tom Hanks
0: definitely stabbed him in the abdomen.
1: Yes, he definitely gets a good abdomen stab after being confused for a Goreville.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because he's he has another sort of break and he sees that uh, the guy from Predator again and he he attacks him. (laughs) And then he wanders out of the he wanders out of the alleyway. And by now it's nighttime and he's just sort of walking around. And he's like just brandishing a bloody knife as he does this. And nobody notices because I guess because it was New York in the 80s. So uh, he seems to have a moment of lucidity and he goes to a payphone and calls Kate. And he's it's some really it's some really good wrought acting from Tom Hanks, just crying about how he's in New York City and he doesn't know how he got there. He's like, I think I killed someone. There's blood all over my knife. And. She's like, oh, my God, like, you know, she's woken him up or he's woken her up out of the middle of the night and she's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So, okay, so you're in New York City. We'll go to JJ's house. JJ is the funny hat guy whose mom is also rich. So she has uh, like some big brownstone or something like that somewhere in New York. Uh, So she gives uh, Tom Hanks the address for it and says, you go there. I'll get everybody. We'll drive up there and we'll we'll come get you. And he says, yeah, sure. And. He wanders off again and I guess he just sort of falls back into his pardue persona very soon after that because he finds himself down in the subway and he starts wandering around in the subway and he goes through he goes through like a service door and ends up in the subway tunnels like very deep below them. And he runs into um, an unhomed individual and he's like in full pardue mode. At this point, and he's like, and he can hear the subway up above. He's like, does the dragon guard this place? Um, you know, can you tell me how? And uh, he's like, I'm Pardue, a holy man. And the guy says, hey, yeah, and I'm the king of France. And then he says, oh, your majesty. Uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> easily, and, easily the best scene in the whole film. Yeah, And uh, the guy's like, don't go up there. If you go up there, they'll get you. And, you know, obviously Tom Hanks thinks he's talking about the dragon and he the great hall, which was giving him his visions, told him that he must seek out the two towers. And I should point out that he was drawing a map uh, in his room that his friends found and they were trying to figure out, you know, what it meant. He wrote the two towers on it and they all thought it was a Tolkien reference Uh, and Uh, And then he's asking the guy, you know, can you tell me how to get to the Two Towers? Because, you know, I've been I've been charged with with going there. And the guy tells him he tells him how to get to the World Trade Center. And eventually they figure out where he like they're like, oh, my God, the Two Towers. It wasn't Tolkien. And because Kate finally is remembering the story about his brother Hall um, running away to New York. She's like, oh, my God. So. Uh, That he ends up making his way to the World Trade Center and he gets there like right before they do. And there's this really weird and unnecessary series of scenes where they're just missing each other or they're going all over the building. I I predicted this and I ultimately was wrong when we were watching the movie. I was like, I bet they are in building one. And he is in building two and they're going to get to the tops of the buildings and they'll see him and he'll jump to his death, essentially. And that didn't happen. But uh, it would have been an interesting twist and it would have probably <laughs> been a less weird ending than the one we got. But. But they get up to the top and he's just about to jump off the building and. And. Uh, They're like, oh, my God, you know, don't Tom Hanks, don't jump off the building. And he's like, well, I'll cast a spell. I'm going to fly. I've been summoned by the Great Hall. And they slowly make their way over there. And I think it was Funny Hat uh, asserts himself as the mage as the maze controller and essentially puts an end to it sort of in universe for Pardue. And then all of a sudden uh, Tom Hanks is back and he's like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? Ah." And then it
1: fades to black on like a nice hug from everybody. And then then we get to the really sad ending. (laughs) Yeah, the actual ending is so much more, in my opinion, depressing than if this person had fallen. Though I don't I don't know. It's a it's a struggle. It's a struggle for sure. But basically, uh, they have this whole conversation about like, oh, it'll be so nice to see him again. Like we haven't seen each other in so long. And they pull up to his parents' house and she's like his mother's like, oh, she He's out back, you know, enjoying the scenery, you know, go and go and speak with him if you like. And they go and speak with him and he's like, oh, yes, well, I I give the innkeeper a coin and every morning it's underneath my pillow again. I believe it's magic, a self-replenishing coin. And at first you're like, is this a bit? Is this a bit that they're doing right now? And no, he is he is still 100 percent in the game, even though his mother talks about how he's been working with a therapist and she feels like they've been making a lot of good progress and all of this. And he's like, oh, we need to I, I see it's all of my adventuring companions. We need to go into these woods because something really concerns the innkeeper and his wife in these woods.
0: And everybody so, is just uh, sort of like, uh, but then um. Somebody speaks up in character because they're like, okay, you know, let's let's humor him, essentially. And it shows them walking across a bridge uh, over over like the lake or the creek or whatever into the woods so they can fight the menace there. And Tom Hanks is just talking, you know, like, ah, you know, venturing forth, et cetera, et cetera. And at the very end, um, Kate comes on there with a voiceover and says, and so we played the game again for one last time. And then the end.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's in. I can't remember if it's inferred or explicitly stated that he never recovers. He just spends the rest of his life living the game.
0: It's it's implied. They don't say that. It's not like the end of Quantum Leap. Dr. Sam Beckett never returned home or anything like that. (laughs) But it's 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 heavily implied that he is just trapped in this persona unless his therapy ends up being a little more. Uh, successful than it has been but it's only been a few months and he had a complete you know break so it might just
1: take time I mean yes I, I certainly could see in the real world someone having experiences with a mental disorder and seeking appropriate assistance and then hopefully being able to get through whatever they need to get through in order to function the way they would want to function That does not seem to be what the story indicates for Tom Hanks' character. (laughs) No, the moral of the story
0: is if you take D&D too seriously, it will ruin your life and
1: you will lose your own personality. Yeah, you will become your character and we'll never hear from you again. And I this this book and then film are related to Satanic Panic because that's part of why they got as big as they did at the time is because of how much like craze there was around like how can we vilify this game like magic and monsters clearly isn't cutting the headlines for us that we need it to what if we talk about like kids being influenced by it at college and etc and i don't know it's interesting to note that there are not a lot of like christian symbologies or anything like that built into the book there's a little bit of he plays a cleric who is a holy man but like that's in of itself that's not actually portrayed in a very christian light or in a pro-christian light at that no
0: it's like it's almost entirely irrelevant they just treat it as uh, the class that he happens to be playing, you could have easily swapped it with like I am Pardue, a thief, or Pardue, a bard, and it wouldn't have made any difference.
1: Yeah, I mean, it would make plot difference, but not for the not for the overall story. So, like, mm-hmm. I think this was created during Satanic Panic Buzz, but without actually being necessarily inside that fold. Even though a lot of people have referenced it as being, oh, it's that Satanic Panic movie with Tom Hanks in it. Like, mm-hmm. yes, it portrays d in a negative light, but I don't know that it was actually Satanic Panic influenced other than here's a popular topic that everybody's talking about.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it felt to me much more like something taking advantage of a current media craze rather than something actually with a message.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, and you actually did some reading about it to sort of get like get the story behind the story. And I was only like sort of casually familiar with some of the names that um, you were throwing out when we were talking about this earlier. Uh, But there was a lot more there that I didn't know.
1: Yeah. So the whole story, the book and everything is based on real life events that happened at Michigan State University in 1979, which I mentioned early in the episode, There was a guy named James Dallas Egbert III who was a student uh, who disappeared from his dormitory. He had left behind a suicide note and then vanished into the school's steam tunnels. He and his friends had been playing Dungeons & Dragons in the steam tunnels. Um, It's not clear from anything that I have read to date that they were LARPing there and not just like trying to find a quiet place to play their game that they wouldn't be messed with for being nerds. Mm -hmm. But it's entirely possible they were LARPing, I guess. Uh, But nothing specific here is said. It just says that, oh, you know, I guess it does say at one point in the Wikipedia article, students were said to play live action sessions of the game in the steam maintenance tunnels below the campus And it was speculated that Egbert had entered the tunnels and had either been injured or lost his way. So, some students were LARPing down there. It's unclear if he was or not. He goes missing, and then a week later, his parents hire a private investigator because the police search hasn't gotten anywhere, hoping to locate their son. Um, They, of course, have found the suicide note, etc. Um... Trigger warning for some fairly upsetting stuff, because from here forward, the story gets pretty dark. Um, He failed his suicide attempt. He took uh, Quaaludes to try and remove himself from the mortal coil, and that did not work. So what he did was he got out of the steam tunnels. He started switching between a couple of houses. Uh, There was a friend's house, or I guess a couple of friends' houses in the area, and then ultimately got on a bus to New Orleans. He spent a little time in New Orleans. He attempted suicide a second time using a cyanide compound. And then he moved on to Morgan City, Louisiana, where he worked for a little while. Um, After four days working there, He calls the detective that had been trying to figure out what had happened to him in the first place. The detective comes and picks him up, releases him into the custody of his uncle. And then a year later, uh, he commits actual suicide, which is very, very upsetting and very, very sad. Um, Mm -hmm. The detective, after he passed, uh, revealed some information that he claimed to have found during his investigation and also had confirmed by Mr. Egbert himself, which was that he was homosexual and was trying to find places where he could quietly go and contemplate things such as suicide because it was 1979 and being gay was not a thing. And the movie actually sort of lightly touches on that because um,
0: J.J., the hat guy, um, he uh, kills his character in the, in the original game that they're playing. And uh, he gets kind of depressed about it because he feels like his friends aren't sympathetic to it. And uh, he feels like he's being left out because they're like, well, that was a choice you made. And so he goes to the caverns to uh to commit suicide and while there he ends up uh like coming up with the idea to do the larp there uh with with everybody so i mean that's kind of a that was really kind of a weird connection for it like you know if if you really think about it like the way this this the book and then later the movie came together based on the egbert story it's really kind of a, a hollow and horrific thing for Rona Jaffe to do um, to to prey on this story uh, to make money on it. And, you, you know, she was basing on, on inaccurate newspaper clippings when she got the idea and started writing it because there was a lot of misreporting. Uh, about everything, but also she wrote the book in a couple of days because she was afraid somebody else might already be fictionalizing it and would scoop her on making the money for it. So to me, like she really comes across as a tremendous villain in this.
1: Yeah, it's worth noting that uh, they did tie Dungeons and Dragons as being one of his interests and something that his friends were playing at school with him. And they were like, oh, well, maybe this is, you know, they got into the steam tunnels and things got a little too wild for him. But the investigator, um, Detective Deer, William Deer, uh, he talks later about how he kind of regrets tying these two things together. Because at the end of the day, it didn't seem like Dungeons and Dragons really had anything to do with it. And that's really what the news media... And a bunch of, you know, Christian groups and et cetera really latched onto as: oh, Dungeons and Dragons is a really dangerous game that our kids are getting way too into and losing themselves in it and then committing suicide, which is not at all how that went, even a little bit. And as I understand it, Detective Deer let that play on longer than he really should have. Because he felt like revealing the truth about James Egbert's homosexuality would be damaging to the reputation of not just his family, but his younger brother. Mm-hmm. And It's like, uh, like that's I don't envy the position that Detective Deere was in, mm-hmm. but for then Rona Jaffe to turn around and be like, oh, I gotta publish this book before anybody publishes it ahead of me, it's like this is the problem that we currently have with 24 hour news media, where there's a lot of speculation. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of like people trying to get the scoop before anybody else gets the scoop. And it doesn't matter how accurate your facts are because you're just, you're there first. And that's important. Mm -hmm. It's just like, I don't know. It's yet another example of really, really gross misunderstanding of facts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know it's not just
0: it's not just rona jaffe because i feel like she probably was caught up in a lot of just sort of the the media fervor of at the time over dnd like the um bothered about dungeons and dragons group uh that made a lot of noise about it uh but you know at the end of the day uh i feel like She looked at this and was like, "Well, this is an opportunity to strike while the iron's hot in terms of making some money on a sensationalized story." So I think I'm going to do it. Uh, She she died unfortunately uh, in 2005 at uh, age 74. So Uh, not like we could really reach out to her to talk about this or anything. I'm sure you know it would be interesting if she were still alive now with the resurgence of Dungeons and Dragons and how it's sort of a pop culture mainstream now to see what her reflections on, you know, sort of her part in satanic panic sensationalism would be.
1: I mean, that could be part of the continuing conversation on this film with our audience would be looking into Rona Jaffe's thoughts and feelings on her own publication after finding out, you know, a little more detail about the actual case that she was writing the book based on. Mm hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that would be interesting. I'm sure there's something out there. If any of you uh, know of any uh interviews with her, you know, maybe toward the end of her life, that would be really interesting if you could forward those along so we could take a look at them. Because, you know, like 2005, that was really in kind of a, uh, a, a low zone for d and D. I I feel like. What was that? That would be like right around the beginning of – fourth edition end of you
1: know 3.5 no i think 3.5 was still going strong at that point. point fourth edition was closer to 2010 i want to say because i distinctly recall playing a um beta test mm-hmm. for fourth edition or was that fifth edition it was 2008 whoa yeah
0: It was announced at Gen Con in 07, and then it came out a year later.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's kind of a goofy little tidbit about this is that he went missing. uh, James Egbert did went missing around the same time Gen Con 12 was happening in Wisconsin while he was in Michigan. And so there were a few people who attended Gen Con 12 that were like, I think I might've seen the missing guy who's all over the headlines. It's like, of course you did. No, you did not stop it. <laughs> uh, but yeah,
0: just all around. It's, it's a, a sad story that is a consequence of the time during which it happened. Misunderstandings about parts of parts of the story that were involved and perhaps didn't really have a big effect on anything that happened and then somebody taking advantage of that misunderstanding to make a book on a story and then uh, a TV movie getting made about it. So shame on you Procter and Gamble for sponsoring this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's not really, it's not a good movie to begin with. No, and then it's really not. on top of that, you've got the backstory behind how the movie came to be. And it's like, Uh, I'm really glad, first of all, that this is a bad movie because I would not want to see it and be like, wow, what a cinematic masterpiece. I wonder what the story behind it. Oh, no. Yeah. The
0: only reason anybody really knows about this movie now is because Tom Hanks was in it. We would not be happy. I think
1: it's that and that it's early. And I mean, early in Satanic Panic as a craze. My understanding Mm -hmm. is that Satanic Panic literature literally only started to be published in 1978.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, like people would know about it because of like the D&D connection. But I mean, like, would anybody be mentioning it? No, it would be. It would be (laughs) like this footnote just way down there. Um, But the fact that Tom Hanks is in it, that elevates it so much. Like, I think the next movie he made after this was Bachelor Party, (laughs) oddly enough. Oh, (laughs) what an odd turn for him. You know, this was this was in the beginning period when Tom Hanks could do no wrong. And then he had a little bit of a low period in his career. And then he came back still not being able to do any wrong. So. Yeah,
1: he got it all out of his system with this film. I will say I thought it was interesting that Rona Jaffe changed it. I understand why Rona Jaffe changed it from Dungeons and Dragons to Mazes and Monsters. Nobody wants to get a lawsuit from TSR. Mm -hmm. What I don't understand is why uh, make it, you know, uh, an abandoned mine instead of the steam tunnels that they actually were.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I believe that they did that on purpose to stop kids from going and exploring steam tunnels. Like the only steam tunnels I'm really aware of are the ones at Virginia Tech. And I know there were tons of stories of folks, you know, trying to sneak into the steam tunnels and all the legends around the steam tunnels there. Uh, And it became a real problem. And there was also like sort of a mini steam tunnels uh, like scare back in the day, um, you know, kind of related to this stuff. So I really feel like they changed it to that So people would not start getting ideas
1: about going into steam tunnels if they didn't already have them. I mean, that makes sense. There is a film that's significantly more recent that is, I think, a tongue in cheek remake of a chick track regarding Mm -hmm. Dungeons and Dragons called Dark Dungeons, where early and I mean early in the film, they're like, don't go into the steam tunnels, (laughs) (laughs) i i hadn't known the context of this film and this story at that time and so i was like what a silly thing to emphasize and then i'm like now i'm like oh oh that is a direct reference okay
0: so as we wind this down i want to correct my tom hanks timeline because (laughs) i've I've gone to his IMDb and we're going to set this all straight before we end this. So nobody is like, well, actually,
1: you're you're, you forgot about, et cetera. Um, I'm so excited for IMDb (laughs) to have something very mildly wrong that someone Mm -hmm. corrects us on anyway. But go ahead. Uh, So 1980, uh, a movie called He Knows
0: You're Alone, where he played Elliot. Also 1980, an episode of The Love Boat, where he played Rick Martin. Not Ricky Martin, but Rick Martin. 1980 to 1982, he was doing uh, Bosom Buddies, where he played Kip Wilson opposite Peter Scolari. Uh, Also 1982, did an episode of Taxi, where he played a guy named Gordon. So clearly, we're at a point where um, Bosom Buddies has wound down. He's looking for just some bit parts here and there. He's still thinking he's probably going to be a TV actor. Uh, Also 1982, uh, Happy Days. Uh, he, played an ep- he was in an episode of Happy Days where he played a character named Dr. Dwayne Twitchell. And I actually didn't realize Happy Days was still on in 1982. I think this is after Ron Howard left the series, but I'm not sure. Uh, then 1982, Mazes and Monsters. The next film he did was Splash. So I'm sorry, I forgot about that. He did that in 1983. Then he was in three episodes of Family Ties. Uh, in 1983,
1: 1984, and then 1984 was Bachelor Party. Oh, OK. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm so glad we could clear that up for everyone yeah. at home.
0: You know, there's there's a lot of mix in this conversation. It, it was kind of a silly, dumb, reactionary movie based on a really tragic story. Um, and Tom Hanks is involved. Uh, so that makes You know, it's worth talking about regardless, but that makes it at least interesting to talk about. But uh, I think that's all we've got this time. We're going to come back in two weeks with uh, a real discussion of the satanic panic where we will have read books to educate ourselves on it and things so we can have an honest discussion about it. Um, So we'll catch you all next time, which is in two weeks. But I guess we should throw some promos here so we don't have to add them in in a separate audio track later.
1: But uh, – I fully agree with that notion, which is why you should telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the Goblins and Growlers podcast.
0: That's fair. That's fair. I think that's a good idea. Um, and you should also <laughs> uh, telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about Quid Pro Role, our sister actual play podcast, wherein I play a over-the-hill professional wrestler and Josh is uh, an emo thief boy. <laughs> um That's fair. <laughs> Um, I don't think there's really anything else going on right now that we need to promo. We're sort of in that late year, not a whole lot going
1: on thing. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have a lot going on and you want to come talk to us about it, the best place is bit.ly slash goblin discord. Uh, the second best place you can reach me at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. Um, and you can reach me at Way of Brandalure on Twitter. And also, if you have
0: a favorite Tom Hanks movie, why don't you uh, send that to us in an email addressed to contact at goblinsandcrowlers.com? Subject line fave Tom Hanks movie. We will read them <laughs> on air. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everybody. We appreciate you tuning in. Um, you really should if it's a rainy day or if it's cold outside. And you just have nothing else going on, watch mazes and monsters, because it's just a very, very over-the-top, silly thing. So check it out, and then we can all talk about it together.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is available from multiple video streaming u- units. I think
0: Oh. Oh, I forgot to mention this too. Um, we're recording this on October 19th, but exactly one month ago today, the 40th anniversary blu-ray of it was released. Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. It does not indicate any special features or interviews with Tom Hanks or anything like that. Dang it. That's what I was hoping for. Yeah. Well, we'll spend company money and buy it and find out. And if there, <laughs> and if there's no extra, if there's no
1: extra Hanks content, we'll just give it to Goodwill. No, we'll sign it and uh, sell it on eBay because, you know, between Tom Hanks and us, it'll mm-hmm. have enough star power to really rake in the dough.
0: Oh, no, but if we give it to Goodwill, we can write off the cost of it as a business expense and we can write it off as a charitable donation so we can double dip it. Uh, I don't I am, think
1: that's how taxes work. We can I am not an attorney. Accountant. I
0: am not a certified professional accountant. Uh, but uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks.
1: Bye, y'all. like what you hear consider subscribing and giving us a review over on apple podcasts especially early in the feed subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way thank you